You're listening to The Enlightened Podcast. I'm Dr. Sarah Jane and I'm a gentle chiropractor, holistic counsellor, energetic worker, intuitive guide and yoga and meditation teacher. I'm the host and creator of The Enlightened Podcast and I'll be bringing you stories of resilience, consciousness, healing, the human experience and just how trauma, loss and grief can shape us to be more compassionate and more empathetic human beings than ever before. These stories are for the highly sensitive, the empaths and those wanting to hear a unique approach to holistic health. Oh my goodness. Do you think I could have added any more things to that introduction? <laughs> like, what a beautiful introduction. <laughs> I'm a this, I'm a that. Um, <laughs> well, welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Sarah Jane and on this episode we have Lauren Minicosi joining us and I guess I could say, I'll start off with saying I met Lauren I think around this time last year probably yeah. and it was after seeing her um, a post of hers on social media in regards to her book A Journey to Health and I started reading a bit about her story and I couldn't believe she was 24. I was just like, how has she written a book already? <laughs> but anyway, that was another story um, and I just thought, wow, she's so talented but also courageous in the sense of we all have these ideas of things that we want to do in life but you know a lot of the time we rarely actually set out and do them so I just thought I have to get to know a little bit more about this this woman and so I started following her and I think I got in touch with you and asked if I could uh, stock your book um, so I just found it so inspiring so if you could just tell everyone a little bit about yourself and maybe a bit about what your book is about journey to health yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, it was this time, I reckon, last year when we actually connected and, yeah, I was able to give you, I reckon it was in the lead up to the book actually finally being published. So, yeah, yeah so very, it's, I can't believe a year's nearly already gone. But, <laughs> yeah, so I'm Lauren and I'm 24. And growing up, I had a beautiful childhood. I was surrounded by a loving community. I was Italian background and I had a lot of support. And then when I was younger, we actually moved towns and I was in a different, it was a different setting. So usually I was surrounded by a lot of Italians, um, a lot of different cultures. Whereas when we moved, it was very much Australian dominated. So there was actually no other Italians other than I think another family. So yeah. I had already felt quite isolated because we came from this tiny rural country town to another country town, but we knew no one. Um, and a lot of my friends were like, they were able to do a lot more stuff. They had a, a lot more freedom. Whereas my parents were a bit like, no, like we didn't have this when we were growing up. Like you, you need to, you know, I do this and that. So it was very much an adjustment. But when I was younger, yeah, I was in the schoolyard and this boy just called me fat. And it, from that little remark that I thought, you know, I dealt with when I was younger, I had a little bit of a cry about it, that actually stayed with me until my life, until growing up, teenage years, even into my mid-20s, it just stayed with me. 
And I think from that, what happened with that, that started to bubble away. So from that remark, I started seeing myself a lot differently. And I started picking up on, hang on a second, I do look quite different than all the other girls. Like the other girls were quite different built. They were quite tall physiques, um, quite slender. Whereas I, being an Italian background, I had a little bit more curves on me, um, darker features. So I already start to feel like, okay, no, I, I do stick out. And I don't just notice this now, like the boys are starting to notice it. So I started just building up all this resilience towards myself and I think I just started picking out points and then, you know, I started getting to these really unhealthy habits where I would look into the mirror and start picking out on all the aspects I hated about myself because I would always be thinking unconsciously about that boy who called me fat. Mm. Um, so that was, it was quite like I look back now and I'm thinking how can one small remark have such a ripple effect, but it honestly does because from there it actually changed the way I perceived myself and then that's what I took throughout when I started getting older. So when I started getting into my teenage years, that's when my unhealthy relationship with food started because I started to feel like I was still, I always saw myself as the bigger girl. I couldn't get that image out of it and it's interesting because looking back at photos now, I would look at myself in the mirror and I can't, oh, sorry, I would look at photos and I would be like, I don't know what that girl saw in the mirror because right now from seeing this photo, I look unhealthy. Whereas I can remember so clearly back then that I just kept on thinking I was so big. Mm. So it's just crazy how your eyes can actually change and really change the way you look at yourself or perceive yourself. So then I started really getting this inner resentment but underneath and it started to build up, build up, and I started to get quite depressed. And it unfortunately it had led to a suicidal attempt at such a young age and it's quite sad thinking about it now because I was so young and I don't know how being that young, how I would have even thought about that stuff. I must have seen on movies or something because, you know, social media wasn't such a big thing so you don't read a lot about it at that age when I was that young at that time. Um, and so then, and then, sorry, the eating um, habit started where I would weigh everything to a T. I wouldn't go over certain um, meal proportions. I cut out all sorts of food groups such as carbs because I was like, you know, carbs are the devil. And because what I felt was whatever went in would stay on me and make me fat. So if I didn't put anything into my mouth, I couldn't then actually put on weight. And I, looking back now, it was just a sense of control as well because I felt like I didn't have a lot of control in my life at the time because I was so unhappy. And because when I opened up to mum about how unhappy I was and what had happened, she'd actually told me, oh, Lauren, you know what? Suicide actually, unfortunately, it has a massive affected our family because I lost my brother and I lost my father both to suicide. So then even after that, I felt like I carried this burden on me because I wanted, I had to be here for my mum because I couldn't let her go through what she'd gone through, but I wasn't here for myself. So that hate for myself still remained, but the feeling of staying here, it was like a forced added pressure. Yeah, I think, you know, it's when I was around that age as well. I think my first well thoughts of suicide would have been around sixteen or seventeen, and there was no social media then either. 
And I think for me, when I look back on it, it wasn't that I wanted to die. I I didn't want to die. I just was in so much pain and I didn't actually know how to stop it. And that's all I wanted to end. And I thought, I can't live like this forever. I can't keep going on like this. I just wanted it to stop. And I, well, at that moment, I didn't believe it was going to get better. It felt so overwhelming and large at the time. You know, it, it, even though you, you look back and you think, wow, I have such a big life to live for still, it's almost like you don't want to. If this is what life is, if this is what life feels like, then, you know, I'm not sure if I want to. And I think getting support and getting the right support or even understanding yourself what the right support is for you is really challenging at a young age. You know, it, it's really, really tough and it's also so interesting that you say that that one comment, even though someone might think that's, you know, one thing that someone said to you in time, there was a part of you that already, I guess, believed that to an extent and it just cemented a perception within you. You know, there was already, you already felt different. You already felt that you didn't look like everyone else. And then when someone actually pointed that out to you or, you know, not saying that that's true or not, but when someone's actually said that to you, it's, it's, Oh, I like I still remember comments said to me from high school and I'm 34. I remember comments said to me from primary school and I'm 34. These things really do stay with you and um and can affect you for a long time if you don't, I guess, um, process them and process that it's okay to be different. And that takes time. When you're a teenager, you don't want to be different. You want to be like everyone else. And, you know, for your mum, I can only imagine what that would have felt like for her, especially after losing people in her family before to suicide you know it would be so confronting but thank you for sharing that with us and I know a lot of my clients have you know unhealthy relationships with food whether you want to label it as an eating disorder or um or body dysmorphia in the sense where what they look at is so different to what other people see or what they see in a mirror is it's never going to be good enough you know it's they're never going to be skinny enough to feel good deep inside. And I think what you touched on there is the idea of getting control in your life in some aspect as well. And we have these coping mechanisms usually in which we can control really precisely, like food, you know. um, We all know what we should or shouldn't eat. That's not the point, you know. (laughs) It's about how we feel and the relationship within ourselves. And you speak a lot about self-love and and. I guess, your relationship with developing that. But what does that kind of mean to you? I think, you know, everyone says, oh, you need to love yourself before this can happen. But what does that actually mean and look like? Yeah. So it's quite interesting because I find with self-love and I'm one to admit it as well, whenever you hear the word self-love, it's a term that's a lot, it will get a lot of eye rolls. Like I find I talk about self-love and I can already sense that people are like, oh, here she goes on her soapbox, like just an eye roll. So, and I'm try- I'm still trying to develop because I'm like, I don't want to really call it self-love because I know there's negative connotations with it, with it, which I just find so bizarre because it's actually such a beautiful thing because I find that with self-love, there you need self-acceptance. So in order to have self-acceptance, you need to accept who you are and to show yourself compassion, to show yourself remorse, love, kindness, be caring to yourself, to give yourself some respect because then once self-acceptance comes, 
that's when your internal happiness actually develops. Because until you accept who you are wholeheartedly, you will never be truly happy within because you'll always have little aspects that are always un that will always sort of trigger you. And I understand we all have triggers because I'm one to admit, hand on my heart, I still I get triggers daily. Like I think when you battle through some sort of mental health issues, whether it be um, physical physical issue, physical health issues, sorry, or mental health issues, you're always going to have aspects that trigger different things, whether it be like a different food or whether it be a bit of bloating. There's always going to be some sort of trigger, whether someone says something to you about your weight. There'll be little like triggers, but it's then how you actually take that trigger and instead lean it down a toxic cycle where I once did. So if I got a remark like commenting on my weight, I would hold that in and just go down a really dark cycle where I'll start binge eating and I'll start, you know, causing harm to myself, stuff like that. Um, but it's like when you hear it, it's like, okay, so what can you do? Because there's a, a lot of power in knowledge and awareness. And it's like, okay, I understand that's triggering me, but how can I then steer it into the other direction? I feel like that's actually an aspect of self-love because you're giving yourself that space to understand what just happened or to acknowledge the situation but then instead of taking it down a toxic path you then take it through okay let's show myself a bit of love and let's go this direction in order to start healing again and start you know obviously that trigger is quite triggering but let's move it into a different direction so I can start so it can rule my whole entire day. I think that's so important what you just touched on as well I think a lot of people who do come and see me they want me to stop the triggers. They want me to stop their reaction to the triggers so that they can move on in their life, you know, like they they don't understand, so to speak, that it's going to be not a lifelong battle. Like I don't want to make it sound like that, but it really is something that will stay with you um, for a long time and, and for a lifetime in essence. It's almost like, a you know, um, having an addiction in some way. Um, you, you have to be able to have the triggers happen in your life but have a different response and reaction to them and almost a reaction that has a, you know, your the real you processing it rather than that reaction from that state that's not you. And I think, you know, it's so important that you touched on that triggers do still exist even for you. You know, you may not be, you know, still anorexic or ex- experiencing the eating disorder today in that sense, but you're experiencing it still in other ways in the sense of that triggers still do happen daily and it's something that you still work on daily. Definitely. And I almost think at the start I got really frustrated at the triggers because I just felt like I could drive back and forth and I had to just change my mindset mentality to be like, you know what, the triggers are probably they're nice in a way. If I could just look at them in a positive um, light where in, compared to a negative, it's like, why are they positive? And I'm like, you know what, what these triggers are doing, they're helping me steer back into the right direction because maybe prior to this trigger, I was doing little, I was showing different signs to, you know, developing that unhealthy relationship with myself again. And that trigger was the point that actually then brought that to my awareness and to my knowledge to then be like, oh, hang on a second, I don't want to go down this path. I've been down there once before. I'm going to then turn around and head into another direction. Yeah, definitely. And I think also there's just a misconception that if you're healed, for instance, or you've healed from something, 
um, that you no longer experience that. And for me, it's I've never had the voices completely stop or the um, the things in my head completely stop. You know, some people are like I just want the thoughts to go away. And in my experience, you know, it's not that simple. The thoughts are there, and it's more about I guess, like you said, redirecting and almost um, not attaching so much to whatever every thought that comes in your head. You know, yeah. And, yeah. It's, it's so strange because I know some people describe it almost like having an angel and devil on their shoulder. You know, there's this one part of you that's like, no, don't do that. Don't go down there. You don't want to be in that route. And then there's this other side, you know, that's not the real you that's like, no, don't eat that. You know what happens, you know. And it's amazing that that still stays with you for, you know, a, a very long period of time, if not for your lifetime. Yeah, it's quite, it just shows how powerful our mind is like even when I look back to when I was younger and I touch on this in my book just about like the many thoughts that I would always have and the way I looked at myself and how my mind saw something so completely different or how my eyes saw something different completely different to what someone else saw and it was because of the stuff I was feeding myself the stuff that I was telling myself because if you continually tell yourself your shit your shit at this your shit at this your shit at this you will, you will be shit at it. Like you're not going to get any better at what you're doing. You look at it in a different angle and be like, no, I am getting better. Like each day I'm learning, I'm getting better. I might not be good at this topic just yet or this aspect, but you know, over time I will get there because each day I'm learning and I'm getting better. Because it's like we, still, we all strive for perfection. And that was another thing that I found that I just kept on striving for perfection because one I ended up in hospital because I never was, and I'm quite open about this as well, I was never diagnosed clinically with anorexia or an eating disorder. I got to the point where I was extremely tiny. Um, I was fainting regularly. Um, I definitely looked malnourished. And my mum was actually in the medical field, and so she was able to sort of help me steer me into a different direction. Um, and looking back now, like I wish I'd got help because it just made the journey so much longer. Um, and you know, there was definitely triggers as I got older and different scenarios that happened. And if I had just probably reached out when I was younger, it would have been a lot easier, but you know, I was too embarrassed. I was too ashamed and I was guilty as well thinking all that. So I felt like just cause I had told my mum I was fine. Um, but yeah, it's quite, I just find that a lot of people are too scared to open up and that they feel too shameful about their journeys. And that's what I keep saying to people. I never feel ashamed or embarrassed for what you've gone through because there's power in what you've been through. It's a journey. You learn every single day. If something happened to you, whether you did unfortunately take your life, whether, you know, you went through a mental health issue, whether, you know, an eating disorder, whatever it was, don't allow that, though, to then define the person you are becoming now. Use that to then help um, shape the person you're becoming but never allow it to define you and don't be ashamed or embarrassed to speak up about that own what you've been through because if anything it's a credit to you because you've overcome or you're learning to overcome a lot of that stuff to then get you to a better space and I think you know having your mum in that area and obviously a loving family that could tell that there was something not quite right 
going on with you at that point in time, I guess I, in my belief system, um, may have prevented you from going down that route of ending up being diagnosed with a specific illness like anorexia or, or bulimia. But one thing that we do know for sure is that you had an unhealthy relationship with food and maybe if you did not have that support um, it could have got worse down the line and I really love that you touched on um, what we feed our our brain and our thoughts in that sense because if you're looking for something your brain will find it so a lot of the time it's about asking better quality questions you know if I ask myself all the reasons why I'm not good enough I'll probably my brain's pretty smart. It'll give me a long yeah. list of why I'm not doing well or not good enough and I'm a perfectionist somewhat like you and a high achiever in the sense that um, I got a lot of my worth based off what I was achieving or what I was good at, so to speak. But, you know, if you ask your brain, well, what have I done today that's good for me today or what have I done that um, was challenging but I've overcome that, your brain will give you the answers to those questions as well. So I think it's asking yourself a better quality question and also in terms of what you focus on to an extent, you know, have you ever gone and bought a new car or looked at a car and you're like, oh, I love that Toyota, the red Corolla or, or whatever it might be. <laughs> um, and then you, you're you driving around and all of a sudden you see these red Toyota Corollas everywhere, you know. So it, it really can be um, what you focus on to an extent as well. And obviously there's a lot more to it in regards to this there's a lot of depth to it but the brain really really is powerful in that sense and uh I think you've well recently I've noticed more so on your social media anyway is you talking about um your relationship with chronic illness and your experience with Lyme disease at the moment and we were chatting a little bit before we recorded this but I um, have experience with chronic illnesses as well. I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I think at about 21, which for those who are listening don't know what that might mean. It's basically a pain disorder that they can't find any physical cause for. Um, so they label it as a psychogenic disorder, which is a nice way of saying that it's in your mind. Um, but however, when they do certain um, scans of the brain, they can see actual real pain centres light up. So even though they can't find a physical cause, there's definitely real physical pain in, in relation to that. And um, I had people not understand that disease so much, so not that it's the same thing exactly, of course, but um, that used to frustrate me a little bit. And I just want to know what are frustrating misconceptions that people have kind of placed upon you and what are the common ones, I suppose, and maybe how could people support someone a little bit better going through say something like that in a way that's um not giving advice unnecessarily or or things like that what, what do you think that people could do a little bit better or what are the common misconceptions about chronic illnesses yeah I think the hardest part is chronic illnesses people don't understand and I like I'm totally I was naive by them all as well until I was faced with one so I definitely understand where it's sort of the lack of understanding comes from because when you're not there in that moment being affected by it, you don't really then understand it or it's like, well, why would I go and focus on that when I've got other things in my life? So I de totally understand that. But I think the most frustrating with chronic illnesses is just the lack of awareness around the severity of them and the complexity 
because people sort of go to you, oh, but you look fine. And like that was the one thing, like when I was really, really ill, um, I had doctors telling me I was crazy pretty much because the thing is with Lyme's disease, they call it like a multifaceted disease because it shows different signs from various different diseases, whether it be like similar signs to Alzheimer's, to MS, there's so many different signs that show up in those ones. So then when you tell your doctors what your signs are, they almost think you're crazy or you're making it up because you're just saying every single sign there is amongst all the immune diseases or chronic diseases and they're just thinking, no, this can't be right. Like this, no, this is not right. So I think that was the most frustrating thing was like trying to explain what I was going through to the doctors and to my specialists. And don't get me wrong, I had some beautiful specialists who understood me, but I also had some ones that were like, you know, it's all in your head. You just need to go see a psychologist. And I'm thinking I'm not making up this pain. Like I understand your mind is powerful, but I am not making up this pain and creating this crazy scenario in order for attention or anything. And that's what I felt. Um, so I think, and then, you know, I then saw some beautiful specialists and, people who have helped me now identify what I have and help try to, I guess, get it to a state that's manageable because manageable, it never truly leaves you. Um, a lot of autoimmune diseases, once you've got them, they just sort of just lay dormant forever if you can get on top of them and manage them. Mm. But I think it's just frustrating because a lot of friends just, I, I sort of pushed everyone away because I felt like I was a burden on everyone because, you know, my mental head state, was not good. Like I ended up being diagnosed with severe depression. Um, I my mental state wasn't good. My physical state wasn't good because I couldn't even get out of bed and walk to the fridge or like to the bathroom because it was like severe chronic fatigue and this brain fog was just I couldn't get rid of it and I couldn't think and I'll be stuttering my words like um, and I couldn't even put sentences together. Like my mum would tell me something. And I would be like, and it would take literally at least five minutes to even comprehend what she's just said to me. Hmm. So that was frustrating because I couldn't get the words out and I couldn't even get my thoughts together. And then when you get getting like doctors telling you you're crazy and you need to go see a psychologist, it's all in your head, you start to think, well, maybe it is all in my head. And then you start to doubt what you're going through yourself. But I think the best support I got was when people just sort of, they didn't try to fix me, like with friends and family. They didn't try to fix me and they didn't try to um, diagnose me themselves because that was the other frustrating thing. And it's beautiful because people want to help you. But when you're getting sent so many different um, diagnoses of people, of friends and stuff, because they're like, maybe you have this, maybe you have that, it gets very overwhelming and you just want to crawl up in bed and just be like, just leave me alone. Like, I appreciate your help. I appreciate your support, but this is not helping me in any way at the moment. Yeah. And I think that's such a natural instinct as humans when someone you care for is going through something, instead of us kind of just sitting there listening to them and being there for them, we want to fix the problem which makes us feel like we're a problem and probably why people feel like they're a burden going through things like this because it's, you know, you know that they're just trying to help and their intentions are good, but it can create more overwhelm in a situation that's already really overwhelming. 
And um, well, that was my experience <laughs> anyway. And had you had more of a physical illness, so to speak, like a broken leg, um, no one would question that. No one would say, is your leg really broken, Lauren? You know, (laughs) why don't you just start walking on it and just see how you go, you know? Um, Or, you know, it's been in the past for two weeks now, you know, shouldn't it be better? Or um, at least you have your other leg, that's working well, just use that one. Or um, it's all in your head, you know, maybe if you just relaxed more, you know, your leg wouldn't be broken. And you just wouldn't say that to someone with a physical illness. When you can see something, it's easy to comprehend. And like you said, you know, someone's in a cast, it's easy. It's like, okay, I understand you're in a cast, therefore you must have a broken leg. But when you can't physically see it, like, yeah, you see them looking like absolute crap, <laughs> but when you can't actually see the pain they're in, it's hard to then, I guess, be aware of it or acknowledge it in a way. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I think because it's hard for them to understand because they haven't necessarily experienced it themselves, they they find it hard to kind of connect to you in that level, which can make you feel, I guess, alone and then in turn make you isolate yourself because you feel like you're not connecting to people the way you used to, even in the sense where they're like, oh, let's all go out here and you might be like, well, I don't know if I can go out there because if I eat that then my stomach does this and then, you know, it just adds so many layers to your life it affects your life in every way it affects your life financially because you're going and seeing all these specialists and um, you know it affects your life socially because you feel different to everyone again which is such a trigger for you in itself and for most people yeah um you know emotionally you feel sad about it and sad that you can't solve or understand exactly what's going on with you it affects every single area of your life and you know, it's hard to not be consumed by it as well because you have all these doctor's appointments, you have, you know, all these specialists trying to figure out what's going on with you as well, you know, um, and then they're kind of insinuating that you're a little bit of a difficult case too, um, which no one wants to be, yeah. you know. It's, <laughs> it's It can be overwhelming and it really is a, a chronic illness and I guess it's it feels like a an invisible illness at times for a lot of us and, You know, so I think if anything, if you are listening to this podcast and whether you've experienced it or you know someone who has experienced this, um, you don't need to give them advice. You don't need to say, have you tried this? You don't need to do that. Just literally be there for them and even just say, you know, I'm sorry you're experiencing that, you know, that you don't need to fix the problem. And I think... Another thing that I just wanted to touch on, which we've discussed a little bit before, is you talked about, you know, that boy's comment to you, but I just wanted to ask, in regards to you, I guess, experiencing your depression and anxiety and, I guess, an unhealthy relationship with food and the body dysmorphia, what do you think was the root cause behind that? Do you think it was the the self-love aspect only or, or do you think there was other things related to it and... The reason I ask that is because I've seen you on your website and I know we've talked about it in person before as well that you mention a lot that you feel like it was self-inflicted, many of these things. Um, Why do you think women want to cause themselves this pain and many young women as well? I think because it's unfortunately we live in a society today where comparison is quite high. 
we compare ourselves to the next person. And it doesn't matter how truly happy we are, we, by default we just compare ourselves because you, and we've all done it before, we've all had such an amazing day, but then we see something on social media and we just think instantly our day can be changed because then we start comparing it to another person being like, oh, but look at what she's doing today. I wish I was doing that. Even though you just had an amazing day, you literally just saw someone else and you're already comparing. Or, you know, you might feel really good in yourself and then you'll start looking at photos and scrolling and start seeing these unrealistic body images that you wouldn't actually be able to get healthy because everybody is different, different um, frames, different um, genetics. But because you've seen that, it's a trigger and you start comparing. And I think that's the problem is that as a society, we're all trying to strive for this perfection perfect figure, perfect body, perfect life, perfect personality, just the perfect person, which you can't get because none of us are perfect. Yes, I understand we're all perfect in our own way. However, no one is perfect. There's always going to be something about someone that they then feel like they're not perfect, whether it be like maybe they're really late to things, whether it be an aspect of their body they don't like, whether it may be like the thoughts they have, there's always something that won't make someone perfect. But yet we all try to strive for this perfectionism because that's what we feel like we have. It's all this added pressure of when we're younger is what we've just grown with and what we've been shown in the media and through magazines and all through different articles. We've been seeing this. So therefore we feel like we have to portray it. It's like when you think about it, I know growing up when I was younger, I always thought, you know, I would have a boyfriend by the age I am, 21. I would have <laughs> been married by I'm like around 23, just when I finish university, have kids by 24, then can go into work and then I can then go on leave. Have like I had this plan planned out yeah. for me, mapped out because that's what society had shown was the ideal life and don't get me wrong there are people that that suits their lifestyle and that's what they want I have a lot of friends who are already married and you know have full-time jobs and absolutely love it but then on the flip side I also have a lot of other friends who that doesn't suit them whether they want to continue travel whether they don't want to have a mortgage at the moment like it's different and it's all relative to that person I think there's just power in actually knowing what you want and not being ashamed or guilty into maybe wanting to break those norms because that's what it all happens all this pressure it's all when we think about is self-inflicted because we're allowing that society pressure to be added onto us as added baggage we're allowing it to affect us and with my body image issues growing up, the way the reason why I say mine was self-inflicted was because I was putting myself in pain. I was the one telling myself negative comments. I was the one making up those stories that people thought about me. Like, yes, I had that experience with that young boy and there was a few other truths there. But the way I saw people, if someone said something, I would instantly twist that around and be like, no, but they mean this. And I would change their story altogether because that is just the headspace I was in and that's what I believed. So I was doing a lot of stuff at hate and out of spite towards myself and a lot of resentment. So that's why I say I'm self-inflicted because I was putting myself through pain. I was continually giving myself these stories. I was continually feeding this um, inner voice in my head and, and but ironically I was not feeding myself internally either because I wasn't 
giving myself food. I wasn't giving myself nourishment and stuff. Because I, I even say now, when I was at my smallest, I was no more happier than when I was, let's just say, if I was at my biggest. I the, the happiness, it didn't change. I was still unhappy because the truth, I was unhappy within. And until you actually can accept yourself and become happy within, and yet I understand that takes effort and that is a journey. And you don't get to a point where you're like, I'm 100% happy with myself, I'm done. It's not. It's a work in progress. You continually learn. It's like any relationship. You're always going to have ups and downs, but it's just how do you maneuver around them and get to yourself to a point where you're strong enough to not make yourself go back 20 steps. Maybe you'll just go back like two steps. Yeah, yeah. I can hear exactly what you're saying. That, And I think, you know, when you mentioned the timeline, that's well, the timeline of life and what you your expectations or your dreams for your life and what reality is when there's a gap between that people really really struggle and it is a lot to do with society you know it's still very strong in the sense of you know it, when you get a boyfriend people be like oh when are you gonna get engaged or when are you gonna <laughs> together you know or time's ticking Lauren you know oh you're married oh great when are you gonna buy a house together or whatever it might be or okay when are you gonna have a kid when are you gonna have the next one like it's it never stops um, you know, are you going to breastfeed? Oh, you're not breastfeeding. Oh, you go to work. You don't go to work, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, so one thing that I always say to people is, you know, be responsible with it. Sometimes I think we just say these things because we don't know what else to actually talk about. It's just small talk a lot of the time, but it's a real reinforcement for people for feeling like they're not doing something right or there's something wrong with them because they're not doing the timeline thing that they should be doing by that age or by that time in their life. And they think that there's something, you know, wrong with them, whether it's single at 35, you know, or um, they lost their job at 40, you know, and we add so much worth upon what we think we should be doing or what success is for us and not only for us but what we think we should be doing in terms of what society tells us success really is and, you know, I always say to people as well, is it something that you actually really want or is it what you've been told that you should be doing? You know, do you really want that? Do you really want to have that amazing job or is it what you think will come with getting that amazing job, you know, that congratulations or that that worth or that, you know, you're seeking something in terms of reassurance from others that you're on the right path and it's not really something that you even want and before you know it, you're living a life that everyone else has told you you should be living and it's not actually a life that you want to live. And then that comes with a completely different pain. And another thing that I see a lot is people who have done everything that they were supposed to do. They, you know, they um, got their childhood sweetheart or whatever. They married them. Then they had the boy and the girl and then they were very successful and they had the picket fence and the golden retriever and yeah. all that things that we're told, you know, they look good, um, whatever it might be, all these things, and then they can't work out why they're so unhappy because they've done everything that they were supposed to do. So why are they sad? You know, um, that's challenging for a lot of people as well. But like you said, you can have all those things. Um, you can have the idea of what the perfect life, the perfect figure, the perfect marriage, the perfect family, whatever it might be, you can have 
that to an extent and be still really unhappy because there's no such thing, just like you said. So um, instead of striving for this thing that doesn't even exist, be okay with maybe doing something different again. It comes back to that same belief. We don't want to be different. We just want to belong. And in order to belong in this world, we have to be doing what everyone else is doing. Yeah, and I think that's the hardest part is we've grown up where we don't want to stand out. Like it's always like don't be too noisy. You've got to be like stay as silent as everyone else. Don't be the one to then question um, the teacher because you're not allowed to do that. Show respect. Don't do this. Like we're being conditioned to never stand out and to never really truly shine. And it's almost like the white poppy syndrome is the tall poppy syndrome, sorry, not white. Um, is that when you know you try to you start achieving and stuff, a lot of people try to then tear you down because they don't want to see you stand out. Yeah. And it well, because people find that really testing because they're like what are you doing you you know you're not standing in the line (laughs) you're breaking rules you're you're not you're not fitting in and I think you know embracing being different and embracing your own journey's timeline and not comparing ourselves to others in the sense exactly what you were saying social media can be such a trigger for that but I think it's so important to follow accounts that actually lift you up as well as opposed to bringing you down like you can do that that's an act of self-love too and I know for me the accounts that I try to follow like your one it's the the real accounts the ones that show the hard times and the good times not just the good because I can promise you I've met people whose life seem perfect on their (laughs) social media and you meet them and you're like wow this isn't what you're putting out there you know at all um so for me that's painful in itself, putting on this mask every day and, and trying to showcase things that you think people want to see rather than what the actual reality is. And I think people really do appreciate seeing the real stuff more so. And I think that's why people appreciate you and what the work that you're doing in regards to this. Like you're really helping change um, the world in a way that a lot of people wouldn't have, I guess, the vulner- the comfortableness with the vulnerability of I guess many people would be ashamed to share their story like you were saying because people make them feel that way for being different or for being honest about what thoughts they've actually thought or, um, you know, you need to do that though to inspire other people and to resonate with other people who have felt those thoughts before. It's so powerful. It makes people feel less alone on this planet um, and that there's someone else who who understands what they've gone through. So I really do applaud you for that, especially being, you know, 24, you, you're still in it and yeah. you still have such a, um, you didn't wait till you got your perfect happy ending before you started writing your book and um, doing your illustrations and your self-love diary, which I love as well. And I think many of us, we wait until the journey is healed or over in our head before we start um, you know, releasing stuff like that. We feel like we have to have done it first and done it right and then we share it. Whereas I think when you start sharing it from your actual journey perspective like you did as well is so brave and so important um, and I hope that we see more of that from you. And another thing that I love about you is your um, terrible sense of humour. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm literally like the ultimate dad joker. <laughs> 
but you always make me laugh. I must admit that there was one TikTok you put on the other day where you um, poured glass of water on your mum, and I just thought, oh, oh dear, oh, Lauren. The- Lauren's really gone for it there. Um, <laughs> but how, you know, you say that you're a self-proclaimed comedian and because um, you like to laugh at your own jokes and I'm with you on that one, definitely. No one else laughs at my jokes, so <laughs> someone do. Um, but how has, I guess, laughing helped you heal on this journey or comedy or whatever you want to say? How has that helped you as well? I think because it just brings everything into a bit of perspective. Like it brings out that child quality because when you think about it, when we're kids, Nothing seemed to phase us. We were always happy. And, like, it's really interesting because you can learn quite a lot from kids. Nothing is worrying them. They're not worrying about what they're going to eat in the next day or what's um, what how they're going to get to A to B. Like, they're not worrying about these things. They're just they're literally living in the present moment. And I think and it's so powerful when you see a kid laugh or a child it's that true, authentic laugh because they, it's truly the funniest thing to them. And I went through a long time in my life where I didn't laugh a lot. Like I did not laugh at anything. I was so unhappy. And so that's why now I'm like, you know what? It comes with self-acceptance because if I can truly say I am accepting who I am, I don't need to justify why I find myself or why what I say is funny to someone else if they don't find that funny. Because if I find it funny, then it shouldn't matter. And I find that if we take life so seriously sometimes, I understand there's definitely times when we need to, but at the end of the day, we make life so difficult and we perceive it as like this thing that it's just this constant struggle and it's just one foot after the other and, you know, there's so much burden and heaviness and weight on our shoulders. But it's like, hang on a second, let's shift our perspective and change it. Why can't life be joyful? Why can't it be quite light? Like it is supposed to be a, an amazing experience for us. And I find that when you start to laugh and you start to see um, a bit of happiness and light, that's when it changes because it doesn't matter. It's like you could be having the shittest day and then someone might say something that you find funny and you could be in hysterics and instantly for that moment in time, you've changed your day to be like better so that's why I'm like you know for so long I didn't see the joy or I didn't see the light in anything and nothing made me happy or um laughing so now I'm like well you know what I'm accepting who I am I find what I'm saying funny so I'm just gonna let myself to just go with it I don't need to justify myself to anyone because I know where my self-worth is at and I need to allow myself to start getting a bit more fun with life and, you know, to start seeing the fun in it and the happiness and the light at the end of the day. Yeah. I really love what you touched on there in terms of um, children being just naturally happy or even if you look at animals, they're just in the moment, they're not thinking about that. Does that cat think I'm all right? Like they're just, (laughs) they're just relaxing, you know, and, um, I think for many of us, sometimes we've seen photos of us as children and we're just like, wow, I was just in, so in the moment and so happy and not, not worried. Like it just has that innocence, that naivety to it that I think as adults we, we sometimes miss, but there's no reason why we still can't incorporate or learn from that, you know, um, and try to live our life the best way we can in that kind of um, mindset as well. Or I guess they just, they're just so happy naturally, aren't they? Um, 
they're just they really are so well I guess that's we're wrapping up around now but I'm gonna ask you some questions that I ask everyone yeah and they are what's three things you want people to know about you and then what are three things you don't want people to know about you (laughs) probably the first one I tell people is I'm not perfect like I am far from it and I want people to know that um because I want them to be able to resonate with me um Number two is I still have my bad days. I don't want people to think just because I've written a book and just because I speak out about a lot of stuff that I don't have bad days and I don't suffer um, a lot of mental issues. Like recently I went back to the doctors and I haven't really opened up to anyone about this, but I was in, my limes was starting to play up and it was pre-COVID and I was in such a bad mental state where we were actually looking at putting me, um, getting me some help and putting me into a hospital for, let's just say, four weeks or something to get that help I needed because my mental state was quite bad. Um, so that's what I mean. Like even now, even through the lines, like, you know, people think I'm sort of at the other end now, but no, because I still go back and forth all the time because, and then I guess it touches back to my point one where is that I'm not perfect, but I'm accepting what I'm going through and I'm learning every day. Um, And the third one is probably that my mission in life is honestly just to help females see the true beauty they are, the goddesses they are, because I went through such a terrible, and I only touched on it very like small here on this, um, very lightly, sorry, on this podcast but I go into a bit more detail into my book about the severity of where I was at and how bad my mental state was and I also say it in a way that actually makes the readers question their own stuff and so I want people to know that like my like my mission and it always will be to help not even just females but to help people start to find peace within and accept themselves for who they are because you don't need to justify yourself to anyone you don't need to become a person just because society tells you or just because the person next to you is this person you need to be like them own who you are and that is the message I really want to put out that we all are our own individual person individuality is the most beautiful thing there is rawness is amazing and just to own who you are yeah love that I love it thank you for being my guest today I feel very lucky to have you and you know I wanted this podcast for real conversations with real people you know not you know because people have this you know, amount of followers or, um, you know, a certain type of person to come on. You know, I really wanted real authentic conversations with people and you are just changing the space that as we know it. And I just thought I need Lauren on here because I just know that you will resonate with so many people and so many of my clients. So I thought, nope, I need her on. So thank you so much for being our beautiful guest today. And, yeah, I will pop your um, social media media handles and um, your website and where people can find your book. They can also buy it from me at my practice but also from Lauren's website directly and I'll leave all the information there um, at the details description with this podcast. All right. Bye, Lauren. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.